Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarek Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I'm talking to the design polymath, David Reinfurt. David is a designer, a publisher, an artist, a curator, a writer, and you might know him from his work with Dexter Sinister, which he runs with Stuart Bailey, or The Serving Library, which is a sort of publishing archive that he runs with Bailey and Angie Kiefer, or his own studio, ORG, which he's run for nearly 20 years. David is a designer that I've been fascinated by for years. I first came upon his work through an essay that he wrote for The Serving Library, but he's also been involved in the great uh, design magazine Dot Dot Dot, which is, uh, has writing that's been very influential to me over the years. His projects are always really interesting and live at sort of this intersection between mediums and disciplines and really push the boundaries of what uh, graphic design can be. I visited David's office, which is a basement studio of Dexter Sinister in New York this past summer, and talked to him about his background and how his career has evolved the relationship between design and writing, the state of design criticism, and the sort of fluid boundaries of graphic design. David's a really thoughtful and interesting person, and I I left this conversation really inspired and thinking about a lot. So if you're not familiar with David's work, uh, which you really should be, I encourage you to look over all the work he's done. I put a bunch of links in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy this interview with David Reinfurt. very excited to talk to you. You're different than some of the other people that I've talked to in that I actually don't know a lot about your background. You're someone who I've kind of, your name has come up in in my research and just over the years, but I don't actually know how you got started or kind of pre, I I first came across you through Dexter Sinister in the serving Mm -hmm. library, but I don't really know anything kind of before that. I think a good place to start is just just a little bit of your background and how you got started. uh, Pretty, I suppose, non-traditional way to get into graphic design, but then again, a lot of people do this as well. So I also went to, uh, I went to the University of North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. Um, I did not go to school to study graphic design. I had no idea that's what I wanted to do. Um, it was a, it was the university and a place to study liberal arts most generally, and I spread my classes all over the map, from math to music to studio art to um, public policy, all sorts of things. Oh wow! So I just I didn't really know. I was just kind of sampling around. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and sometime about junior year in college, I. I saw, found a book on the shelf in the library, which was a book about mechanical artwork, which is how that you, how you would make artwork to send to the printer before computers oh, yeah. were around. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm 45 now, so I was kind of right at the tail end, right, right at the okay. beginning of some of that. Um, I found this book, and I thought it looked interesting to me because it matched, it meshed um, some of the like technical skills which were always something I was interested in um, and uh, and art in some degree I never kind of made visual art or anything growing up I made music I made a lot of music um, and that's kind of where I came into that's what uh, and I and I did computer programming and things like this okay and those were my creative outlets much more so than 
anything visual. So design seemed like a kind of nice synthesis or a useful synthesis for me. It made sense to me, mix of kind of technical and creative aspects. So, but at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, there was no design program. There was a design program at, in Raleigh at NC State, at the design school at NC State. Um, but if I had known, I would have applied for that right. uh, previously. How, so I started, however, at University of North Carolina, there was a, uh, um, oh, a, a professor who was teaching a class called Visual Communication. I took several times. And it was fantastic. And then I continued to take studio art classes and kind of made up a... Uh, more or less um, made up a major that was just appearing which was called visual communication but it really wasn't um, this in any substantial yeah. form it was within the school of journalism that was kind of oh, interesting. Uh, curious uh, the school of journalism and mass communication and um, this uh, professor Jay Anthony was um, was uh, very influential and fantastic encouraged me and uh, yeah Lent lots of things, got stoked my interest. So by senior year, then I decided I needed to learn something about how to do it. So I found a small graphic design studio in Durham, and I'd wake up every morning at 6 in the morning before classes, drive over there, and intern there for a few hours, schedule all my classes in the afternoon, and um, work in the mornings and go to school in the afternoons. Um, And I did this for my last year of college. And uh, graduated and decided immediately I wanted to move to New York, but with the idea of studying graphic design. I thought, oh, I'll study graphic design properly. I had applied to Pratt to the okay um, to a master's program at Pratt. Arrived in New York, didn't know a thing about New York. I was from North Carolina. I didn't know anybody in New York. I was completely um, uninformed. <laughs> and uh, and I arrived up here, started at Pratt, and decided. After just a few times, I decided it was really not gonna. It was not what I was expecting, and not I was not interested in doing it. And so I actually withdrew, collected all, canceled all of my loans, everything else I'd prepared, and decided I'd just live in New York because I was more interested in waiting tables and living in New York than studying. That didn't seem like the way I wanted to approach graphic design. I was kind of horrified. Um, oh, wow. So I I dropped out. Um, and how, how were you feeling? What what was it yeah. like? What was that feeling when you dropped out and just kind of <laughs> like studying graphic design, kind of like proper for the first time, and it wasn't what you wanted it to be? Well, um, I suppose as headstrong, I had an idea about what I wanted it to be. Um, and so I didn't feel I felt quite sure about my decision it was funny I hadn't really done anything like that before but it felt like you know I was like this is right I I don't need to do this now I could do this in a few years um, or something you know this is not right for me right now it's not that the program was um, bad or anything like that I just um, it was not right yeah 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 didn't seem like a good use of my money at the time Um, and so uh, but Instead of waiting tables, I, I already knew something about graphic design, so I put together a portfolio and went started doing the portfolio drop-offs, which is how oh, yeah. this would happen in the past, and uh, did that, and miraculously got called in to make some graphics for Polaroid cameras at Henry Dreyfus Associates, a big like, oh, wow. yeah. industrial design firm. Uh, started working there. That was great, and got some other invitation to freelance in New York at a more corporate place on Park Avenue thought I was doing great got fired from there couldn't find work for many anyway just a kind of rocky beginning right. but eventually landed at uh, 212 Associates a uh, graphic design firm here um, 
And uh, there I got hired because I knew how to run Photoshop. This is when Photoshop was first yeah. kind of appearing. And basically I was the person who knew how to use the computer. So, so I got hired there mostly to work on a Photoshop job. And then that evolved into a full-time job. And they were, um, that studio is very nurturing to, to me as well, right. like pointing me. And they, yeah. they worked on uh, projects that weren't corporate, that were explicitly public. And I also valued that. I thought this was great. <laughs> this was a... Uh, this was a kind of graphic design I could get behind. And um, so I worked there for a couple of years, and then after that point I decided, oh, I thought it'd be really great. There's, I started to get interested in things on screen. I mean, I already was, but there's starting right. more opportunities to do this. Um, so at, uh, this is a long version of the background. No, that's fine. No, this is interesting. So at 2.12, then I had worked on a very early website before Netscape Navigator. Wow, <laughs> wow, okay existed um it was a website for reuters the news company oh, yeah. So it was like, yeah but this was netscape navigator 0.9 b like beta wow <laughs> so, wow so i worked on this website i found it really kind of fun frustrating in other ways but great and i had heard understood that there's a new kind of uh, approach to design out at IDO in San Francisco, okay. interaction design. Yeah. And um, so I decided that's really where I wanted to be. And so I kind of mailed them some stuff. And surprisingly, they were interested and invited me to come out for an interview. And I did. And they offered me a job. And I moved to San Francisco and worked for two years at IDO there under Gita Solomon, who was a, ran the interaction design part. Bill Mongridge was the head of the office. It was yeah. like 11 people at the time. So it's very tiny. Wow. Um, so that was a really amazing job. I got to work on interesting things you had to, you had quite a bit of autonomy you know it's like 23 4 5 25 probably yeah and i had a lot of autonomy and really interesting work and um you know i was like okay this is fabulous and then IDEO moved from their small office to a bigger office on the water and um and the people the other designers in the office were fantastic and um this was yeah so i guess this was 95 to 97 in san francisco so it was also okay. like the first very yeah. first dot com boom yeah um, so it was it was it was interesting, and yet at the same time, even after being there for two years, I was like, "This isn't quite. This is about as good as a job is going to get." I was like, "Okay, this is." Yeah. It was really a very great job with lots of room to think and practice, but I but I realized that wasn't still what I wanted to do exactly. Okay. Or I wanted to have time to develop my own ideas, not just let like as you're describing, like let your career get away from you because right. I could, could have kept on working that way and uh-huh. be in a different position yeah that sounds very familiar <laughs> yeah you know I mean like the offers I mean the opportunities were there yeah um, but I, I decided what I really wanted to do was go back to school to have time to like think about what okay. what I wanted to do now the the three principals who founded 212 Associates met while they were graduate students at Yale and so that was the kind of and I knew people who had gone okay. there and that was the kind of model that uh, that I had seen and appealed to me. And so I decided I would apply to Yale and if I got in, I would go. And if I didn't, I would just keep on working and whatever, do the next thing. Um, and I did. And so I came, went back to school for two years in New Haven. Uh, it was, it felt like a step backwards in a lot of ways. Like yeah. Kind of, uh, in, at first, at least. Yeah. Until it, I mean, it just changed. My expectations were just abandoned pretty quickly. Uh, that was also the same year that uh, Paul Elliman came and started teaching in New Haven. Oh, okay. And, okay. Uh, and Paul was very influential to my work for those two years and for, uh, yeah. for a bunch of years afterwards, even now. Uh, yeah. 
And I so, uh, and so, he um, he offered a lot of uh, points of view I wasn't hearing otherwise. And uh, so I did two years at Yale, and I knew already when I went back, like I said, I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to work for myself. Period. When I'm done, um, okay. like that's that's it. Uh, and so when I left Yale moved to New York City and I started working for myself. I set up a design studio called ORG, yep. which was um, which was just myself. <laughs> and I like gave it a kind of stupid, big sounding name because I had a three letter right. acronym and some other things. <laughs> right. um, because I thought this was a way to kind of, well, there's some degree of kind of play acting going on in this. And so yeah. I, I thought it, or theater, a kind of stage, self-conscious staging of the practice. Yeah. This didn't matter to anybody else, but it mattered to me. Right, yeah, I was like, and uh, so eventually got a or got a studio on 39th Street, Midtown, and uh, and started working for you know for small clients, whatever, and doing doing work I was happy with, and then started expanding a little bit just to invite friends and other people who I wanted to okay. collaborate uh-huh. with into the studio to do stuff. Yeah. And so uh, Mark Owens, who was a friend, uh, who was oh, a yeah. year afterwards, Mark. I, inviting friends in to work and to do whatever and, and have it be a kind of like shifting arrangement of people. Yeah. Just yeah. in the studio where there's people like write like so when I was working with writers I just have them like sit in the studio and confuse that and work there together. Right. Uh, things like this just to kind of keep it active and keep an exchange of ideas. And in fact that's where um, uh, that's where I met well no I met Prame at, okay. uh, at, at, at Yale right when he was an undergrad as a graduate. Oh, okay. And then, uh, and Rob, same thing. Okay, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, and Michael, who was my teacher. Michael right. Rock, who was my right. teacher. And anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's definitely, I definitely like, accident, this was not on purpose, but I definitely accidentally stacked all the Yale people at the yeah. beginning of this oh, yeah. project. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is interesting that yeah. the way those all connected. So, um, so anyway, ran ORG with this group you know kind of yeah. me but it was always like somebody that I had I had assistants uh, kind of one steady assistant a couple of different times um, over a, over a period of period of years um, uh, the second of which was who worked with for I don't know how many years three years or so Stuart Smith um, is a great designer he's actually at Google now oh okay so, um, anyway um, but the studio ran doing regular projects but also um, uh, kind of doing lots of other stuff on the side I was always writing and doing things yeah um, at that same time and uh, yeah like I said um, I would invite people in for short amounts of time so one person I invited in was Prame who had just moved from Berlin at that time back okay. to the United States and so yeah. I said Prame come like use the studio do something that was fun um, and uh, and like very influence you know very nice conversations and whatever yeah um and so there there started build up a kind of nucleus of people around that space uh, uh-huh. and there it would be just as likely like doing a graphic design project just like organizing an event that night might which might be a slideshow and a or a laser light show is one night or whatever things okay. like that so it's, it didn't run in a particularly yeah. conventional manner it, it's interesting that all of that is actually very interesting to me because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I feel like, and I think I've even read interviews with you and heard you speak about kind of approaching 
quote graphic design in the widest sense possible and that I actually like hearing you talk about that I hear that as like a thread back from the very beginning where where you had a very kind of unconventional design education Uh uh, in North Carolina and so I'm I don't even know like kind of what the question is there, but I'm curious kind of how you think about that and your work and and especially writing because um, I came to you yeah. as a writer before uh-huh. I had ever seen any of your kind of yeah. quote traditional design yeah. work. Um, so I don't know. How do you think about that or, or, or how do those all kind of relate to each other in your practice? Well, I think, uh, I think that's correct. Um, I tend to think about, like, I want, I'm ambitious for graphic design to be as kind of um, expansive as possible, and that's not that's not meaning that it should be an umbrella under which lots of different activities happen, but I think you can practice it ambitiously. And by ambitiously, I mean, like, where it has some consequence other than what, for example, what the kind of short-term immediate um, needs are for the project that you're working on. Sometimes it can have an extra gestural okay. resonance, um, and this is the way that you know design criticism can work this way. You can write about a project, you know, say write about a piece of architecture, but write about it in such a way that it has right. that it's worthwhile reading um, uh, twenty years later for other reasons. Um, or a typical book review, right? I'd love to read book reviews. Yeah. And so you read a book review, and yeah, it's interesting enough to know about that book, but I'm not reading it for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm reading it for the rest of it. And I think graphic design can work in a similar way, like both kind of right. fulfill what it needs to fulfill and also have some extra resonance, some extra like dividend, like cultural dividend or whatever. And so I think that's the ambition I have for it. And that is about being expansive, but it's not about a colonizing move of bringing lots, saying, oh, this is graphic That's design, this is graphic design, this is graphic design. It's not that. It's often what I think people kind of sometimes assume or yeah. suggest. Well, it's, and uh, I don't think that's very useful. I like, I like a lot um, an essay that Hal Foster wrote in Design and Crime. Hal Foster's art, okay. yeah. art critic, historian, art historian, teaches at Princeton. Um, wrote a small book called Design and Crime, which were short essays around, uh, around what it sounds like. Yeah. And, and anyway, in the title essay, uh, Design and Crime, he talks about uh, uh, like disciplinary, f- disciplinary fluidity, like the way one oh. discipline goes into another. Right? Yeah. And he actually argues that for design to, be, to have some degree of potency, um, then it's important that it has a shored up boundary that it's distinct from something else. Like when, when activities bleed one into the other, then uh, he says that tends to like close down what's possible. I mean, I'm summarizing this badly, but, but he talks yeah. about a little space that's in between disciplines that maybe doesn't quite have a name um, as being a, a site of like play. It's like where design ends and something else starts. In that, in, in that gray area, there's a lot of um, movement and it's not about occupying that gray area. Actually, it's about just um, being able to have room to push and pull right within it. Um, that all sounds overly abstract. Well, it's in, it's interesting though because I know you've done a lot of writing about like Bruno Minari. Yeah. yeah. Um, even I'm thinking of like people like the Eames, who yeah. who I think have yeah, yeah. seems like they've influenced you. And I feel like they kind of follow that kind of definitely uh, thinking in their practice also. 
Um, how I'm, I'm curious about kind of how you uh, connected with Stuart Bailey and then Dexter Sinister and dot, yeah. dot, dot specifically. Um, dot, dot, dot is something that's been... I, I did not read it uh-huh. as it was coming out. I came right. to it later, but it's been very influential mm-hmm. to me and kind of how I... Th- how I think about yeah. a lot of things, uh-huh. not even just design, but even just yeah. like distribution and writing and criticism and uh, kind of how that relationship started and, and kind yeah, of... Yeah, I'll describe. Yeah. Uh, so Stuart was at the Workplatz Typography um, the same years I was at Yale. That okay. was the first two years of Workplatz. Oh, okay. And Carl Martins um, was also, had just started coming to Yale that year. Carl was setting up the work plot. Stuart was like his first student. He'd kind of written oh, to okay. Carl and said, or I don't know if his first student, but he's been in the first class. And, and yeah. anyway, um, Stuart had found his way there after studying graphic design at Reading and typography at Reading in UK. Um, and uh, and Carl started coming to to um, Yale. Paul was also at the work plots through okay. Carl. I think not teaching but maybe visiting so anyway through Paul and Carl then Stuart and I were introduced and, okay. uh, and uh, I think Stuart came to New Haven one time to visit Paul I was still there and uh, we just hit it off immediately and we're like okay this is <laughs> this is yeah, good yeah. and um, and then it's working together like slowly evolved I didn't think I wanted to work with anybody but when he started <laughs> dot 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 the same year I started ORG and we're kind of very much in conversation right right right, right. okay from from then, and then I started writing in dot 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 early on, and was following yeah. it and doing all that. And um, and then uh, at some point, you know, I, I described with the orgy, I was opening up studio to other people. I was like, Stuart, you should come and be. A, I had this program I called the Org Resident Guest, <laughs> which was <laughs> you just come sit in the studio. And I was like, Stuart, come to New York and uh, come do this for six months or something, or for three months. I don't remember how long it was supposed to be. And he was like, great, I'll do that. He was living in Amsterdam at the time. Okay. And he's like, great, that would be really fun. And I was like, if we find something to work on together, then let's work on something together. That'd be, this would be great. And, it's, and at the time, we got in, uh, invited to do a project, um, a kind of big project, which we decided we'd really uh, take the time and do our proposal right and just make oh, a okay. piece of work as the proposal. That was for a graphics for a biennial, um, oh, Manifesto yeah. 6 yeah. biennial. So anyway, so Stuart was in New York in the studio. We worked on this thing together. We proposed quite a radical idea to them. They accepted it. And yeah. so out of that, then part of that idea was to set up a, a printing and publishing workshop in the context of the biennial, which was to be in Cyprus, on the island of Cyprus. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Nicosia, Cyprus. And the name of that workshop was going to be Dexter Sinister. Okay. And so this is, and okay. so we started. We worked on this project a year, year and a half, and went to Nicosia a couple of times and got wow. we're getting everything set up, and then the entire biennial project collapsed for a bunch of reasons, which are not so useful to get into right now. But um, anyway, so we decided it was just about that time, and I'd been running ORG then for six years. And I was kind of getting tired of the kind of overhead of doing that. And I found working with Stuart invigorating. And I just, I'd been thinking a lot, you know, running a small studio, no matter what, like the financial pressure was just like constant, absolutely constant. I lived very cheaply in Queens at the time and I did a lot of other things to keep it not so bad, but, but, um, but I was not interested in like taking work just to pay bills because I I know that's not, doesn't add up to me. And, um, 
And so, um, so anyway, and I kind of just got frustrated by the, by the scale and expansion of, you know, and like yeah. assumption that yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. growing and whatever. And so Stuart and I decided once the biennial is canceled to, to situate extra, just to take the idea of the name and everything like that and oh, transplant okay. it to New York. Now it's also at the same time I decided I would leave that old studio so I had a party at ORG, a uh, go- uh, demise party, I called it, <laughs> and I gave away everything in the studio. So oh, there were wow. a bunch of people who really actively participated in this, like uh, who participated in, in ORG, like Stuart right. Smith and uh, Mark Owens, and um, I mean, lots of Prame, yeah. uh, Adam Michaels, lots of oh, yeah, people yeah, yeah. who kind of were very much around. And so, and they were, they brought a lot of energy there. And so, um, I decided to have a party and just give away everything, all the tables, computers, like everything. Yeah. Just clear it out. Also, at the same time, I was having a child, and I was moving down to this neighborhood, and I decided I want a studio close to home. And so uh, all of that added up to just, like, giving it away and starting over from scratch. It's like, all I need is a laptop, no assistant, no nothing, just, like, just work. Interesting. And this was 2006. And so at the same time, Stuart and I found this space, this basement space. That was actually before the biennial was canceled or anything. I just was like, I'm going to move. We're going to move down here, share a studio. Yep. And I and, uh, found this space. It didn't look, it looked very, very crappy at the time. Um, it's only marginally better now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for a basement, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then, uh, um, well, uh, so we took this space and then the biennial was canceled and we decided right. to take Dexter Sinister the name and like transpose those ideas here. We had no idea what that meant, yeah. but we just thought the idea of kind of working small and keeping it lean as possible. And, um, uh, and there in Nicosia, we were going to run a book, uh, like a printing workshop. And we realized pretty quickly that wouldn't work here at all. Right. But what we could do is sell books. And so we had dot, dot, dots, which had a hard time getting right. distributed in the United States. And so we thought we would just open up as a bookstore, like Dexter's Sinister okay. would be a bookstore. We'd open up one day a week on Saturdays and it would sell books and right. mostly dot, dot, dots and some other things we liked and, you know, design, design things that we liked or art things. And we ran, we did, we ran it as a bookstore for five years and then we had very regular events here every three months at night. Um, yeah. And uh, that was from 2006 to 2011. Um, the strange thing was, like, the bookstore started really working and paying our rent completely. Which just all oh, these things oh. are for one day, over yeah, one day a week. Yeah. Wow! And online, yeah. Also. But but uh, at the beginning, just like being here because we weren't paying anything for the dot dot dots because we'd already oh, right. published them. Right. We had them. You know. Right. Interesting. So um, so it was crazy. It was very surprising that that worked as well as it did, and then like takes the studio rent out of the equation. Which yeah. Allows you to do different kind of work. It's all. And I think no matter what, with ORG, with Dexter Sinister, even with the serving library, like the, getting the financial equation working has always been very important yeah. to me um, because it gives you a lot of room to negotiate or to, you know, to navigate what you do and how you do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I want to talk about the serving library in a bit, but that's something interesting that I've been thinking a lot about with this project is kind of this is actually a much bigger question than I originally intended, but um, the economics of design criticism or design writing and the the value that it brings to the profession um, and the economics don't always seem to 
equal each other. Right. Um, and so, I'm, I'm, I guess that's one of the things that makes you an interesting yeah. person yeah. is because you have your entire career yeah. been operating on kind of both of those uh-huh. yeah. things. And so I'm, I'm, again, I don't really know exactly how yeah. to phrase this, but like how, how do you, I, I like that idea of kind of the fluidity between them. Um, how do you kind of reconcile these, all these kind of like desperate parts while also being like a studio? Right. Do you know, do you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, uh, it does, I, or I think I can start yeah. to answer that. Um, well, first of all, it's not really a studio, so that's, that's okay. the first thing. Like, I do a bunch of different projects, you know, whether it's like ORG, which is now does software mostly, right. or Dexter Sinister, which these days mostly does art exhibitions and design commissions, okay. um, and the Serving Library, which mostly does publishing. Okay. And each of those I work with different people to right. kind of pull off. Um, and so there's no real, st- and you know, it probably if it was all under one umbrella, it would be more legible and there are other advantages to it. But, but I guess I just prefer the idea of kind of having different kind of bands to play in essentially. So there's no real studio to reconcile, you know, there's okay. no real, okay. you know, um, so then, uh, how to like, how to I can answer how writing mixes in with the kind of more yeah. hands-on design work yeah. or visual work or whatever. And so, I mean, writing for me from the beginning, like I'm not a natural writer by any stretch. <laughs> it's not my native territory. What I found really useful in it, uh, which I'm sure started with writing and dot, 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 really, or thinking about writing that way, is it's just another way to explore similar ideas that I'm exploring in doing design projects. Through a like through another right. way, so right. so I don't think it, it's not criticism in any useful way. You know, I yeah. think uh, I think uh, Michael Rock is a design critic. You know, yeah. I would say what I'm writing is not criticism; it's more like exploration or um, essay. I mean, they're right. they're closer to essays, and they're they're right. as much about uncovering and expanding or something. You know, like yeah. thinking through yeah. a problem. For I mean, they're they're. Um, what do they operate more like? Um, they're more propositional, I guess. Yeah, that was, you know, I'm I'm actually glad that you kind of brought yeah. up that distinction because that was something that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Um, whether you, th- I, I remember I read an interview with you and Stuart a while ago about dot 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 yeah. and and this idea of this kind of like crisis almost that you had where it was like if we put this in a des- quote design magazine yeah. this essay that doesn't seem like it's about design yeah. is it still a design magazine right. and this kind of yeah. like well if we just put the stuff in it that we want yeah. it's the magazine that we want and I feel like that's even that's why I like about the serving library uh-huh. so much is that it is kind of this wide expansive the topics of it kind of are very expansive and so I'm, I'm, what do you how would you describe the writing on well, let's just talk about the serving library since that's kind of the current thing. Um, because it is, you're right, I don't see it as like kind of strict design criticism. There's definitely, a, I think, a critical component to it. Yeah. Um, but how do you think about that? And also, what's what's your kind of involvement in the serving library? Yeah. Are you kind of editing pieces? And yeah. Like, well, let me describe yeah, that, that first. Yeah, that was like three questions, but... Okay. 
Let me describe that part first. Okay. Set the time. So, uh, the serving library is uh, Stuart, myself, and Angie Kiefer. Uh, Angie is a writer and an artist. She's uh, based in upstate New York. She also, coincidentally, was at Yale undergraduate okay. at the same time yeah. as Rob and Prem. Okay. And I was there as a graduate student, so this is just a. And um, <laughs> Angie wrote in dot 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 number eighteen um, first time and. Uh, and then we started working with her very regularly to write on a number of projects okay. and just got just found her amazing like yeah. invigorating and uh, when we started the serving library we were also interested in just kind of we ended dot 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 kind of for the same reasons I ended ORG it was getting too easy to do that same kind of thing and we wanted to right. interrupt ourselves yeah. good idea or bad idea unclear but but, uh, <laughs> but it's like important to kind of like abate you know like interrupt lazy thinking and so uh uh, so when we started serving library, we thought one thing to shake it up would be like invite somebody else to like make sure it's not just, you know, uh, yeah. what, what we were in conversation about. So we invited Angie in, which is not an easy situation because Stuart and I already had a very long track record of talking and developing right. ideas and we were continuing to do this extra sinister and, and that was not Angie. And so it was, you know, so that's right. a little bit, it's a difficult situation to come into, but she also comes from it from a different uh, point of view. Um, being uh, being centrally a kind of a writer as well as a visual art maker and um, and not slotting easily into any of those categories herself either. Right. Um, so uh, so it's been uh, so that's how the serving library works. So right now, the three of us commission articles, the three of us edit articles, the three of us write on occasion or regularly in the serving library in the bulletins of the serving library and that's how it runs and we have different like breakdowns of kind of what we're better at so like I run the website and Andy okay. deals with subscriptions and Stuart does I don't know what Stuart does I'll <laughs> <laughs> do a bunch okay. of other things yeah um, and uh, so but uh, for editorial we split it okay that way and how, so how do you uh, like for commissioning how do you yeah. kind of decide these, those decisions these come about just organically okay. through people that we're in conversation with anyway so we'd never like take submissions as it were because it doesn't ever make sense for us okay. there are enough people that we're in conversation with that you kind of you also something like push them to write something like right. Rob or whatever yeah. and so um, uh, we're always trying to expand our writers but we don't want to kind of force it and so we typically just keep our eyes and ears open and between the three of us in our different circles like we find a lot of people yeah um, and sometimes it works better than others but we really like it when they're from quite different disciplines so yeah. a writer who has written a number of times recently Philip Ording is a mathematician who I met through a, oh, yeah. through a conference kind of totally different thing and like his voice is quite different than other pieces that have been in there and that's a welcome yeah. addition for example and we also as you know, republish things that are in the public domain or whatever. Yeah. Just to go. And it's interesting too, and I didn't, I hadn't thought about this until as you were kind of talking about this, is that what, what makes the serving library so interesting to me as a reader who really didn't know anything about kind of the workings of it before until you just talking about it is there is this range of voices that are all kind of very different. There is this range of topics, but there is some sort of, I don't even know if I can articulate, but a tone that connects them all that when I read it, 
and maybe it's even in yeah. just the distribution and the way that they're all typeset the yeah. same way that it's like this is a serving library piece I mean that's that's the I, yeah. I mean that's the goal for sure yeah. right? is that it, and you know uh, through us all working on the editorial I think it happens that way I think for sure the kind of form does a yeah. lot to to uh, cement that yeah um, and I think there's a an approach to it that definitely comes from design like as much from Stuart and I as Aunt Angie as well there's right. a, a way of thinking through some of these things that's as much to do with like the how something is done as like what is done yeah and uh, so I feel like it's most successful when they when they um, when they stay as close to that as possible even if they're addressing very right. wide right. different subjects I think dot 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 was maybe because the visual vocabulary of it was so kind of uh, you know relatively loose but also yeah, like yeah. a certain like yeah. recognizably design centered right. approach that then it could corral lots of very different things into it yeah um, I don't think it's that different I just think the the approach of now like being templated which we again just did to upset our expectations from what we'd done yeah. before yeah um, yeah, that's interesting. That actually, it's a great way to kind of lead into some of my final questions, right. um, just to kind of start to wrap it up. Um, what what do you, as somebody who kind of operates across all of these things, and I'm very interested in the kind of discourse around the design profession, I'm curious as someone who is kind of very involved in that, yeah. what, and, and this is something that's come up in, literally every interview that I've done so far is that there's there's more people talking about design than probably ever before. What do you think is lacking uh, in the discourse or, or what do you think should be talked about more or even issues that, you know, or, or values in design that are not being talked about or written about? Well, I do think that um, one thing that's missing, although appearing more and more are kind of centralized vehicles through which this writing appears. Okay, yeah. So it's something like Design Observer, great. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's a... It addresses itself to that audience, it commissions articles, it right. distributes them, and it provides a kind of location for a lot of that. You know, I think the easiest way for me to understand it or think about it is, like, in the parallel practice of architecture discipline of architecture where where you know uh -huh. any number of journals have had very long histories and kind of mark out uh spaces within the discipline that, that you know like through lines through yeah. how to practice being an architect yeah um which uh identify points of view and concerns and ethics and whatever right and so and these things appear at different times in our conversation with journals that have existed before well that hasn't really existed in graphic design to the same extent uh -huh. um, many of the publications don't act like journals as much as kind of like uh, chronicles or something right. of like what's going on mm -hmm. right now yeah. And it's not to do with criticism as much as it is to do with a narrow point of view. And I think uh, so I think that I think it would I would love to see even, you know, like I mean, I think design blogs like you bring that up like I think that access a chronicle as well. Yeah. yeah. The the trick is that a lot of the interest is in what the things look like, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that is only somewhat the case in architecture because the projects are longer and slower. Uh -huh. So there's more room to write and talk about what's not 
visible. Yeah. But I think graphic design would would benefit from the same kind of examination of the parts that aren't visible. Yeah. Because that's what keeps you thinking and doesn't you don't dismiss it quite yeah. as quickly. So I'd love to see like more vehicles, more journals, websites, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, totally. And which are in opposition to each other, and which you know, which articulate points of view. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm kind of like the way I came to Dots. I thought I came yeah. to Immigre. Yeah, late. that's a great example. Um, and yeah. I feel like the thing that I I love reading them yeah. as like documents of the time, but the thing yeah. that's great is how they all talk to each other yeah, and yeah. there's things that are responses and there's arguments and things like that. And I feel like uh, it's it, I've said this in, in multiple of these already, but um, you know I, I think it's easier for me to kind of like look at that with like rose-tinted glasses and like look how great that was. Um, but I do think there's something to that that seems like doesn't happen as much today and there's and i think that comes back to like the the serving library a little bit too Mm -hmm. and that uh those pieces don't comment on always what's happening right now but they're a little bit slower yeah Yeah. Uh, a little slower and thoughtful (laughs) uh which i think adds some some value to it i think there's a real you know i mean I'm advocating for a bunch of other vehicles that maybe have alternative points of view, but I think yeah. in my own take, like I, I um, am drawn to things which are out of sync with the moment because I think they help you kind of register what's going on now by their difference. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a very, I hope it's a different mode than say like a social media feed, which, which looks at what you look at and then gives you more of what you look at. Right. Right. Um, oh, that's interesting. And yeah. so I think there, there are other ways. If the goal of, say, articles in the serving library is to, like, they're not critical, they're not criticism, but they are meant to kind of foster criticism, uh, criticality in the person reading it. Right. So it might just make you think about, you know, like yeah. develop some yeah. skills for, or some interest in thinking more critically. I, yeah, I love the way that you just articulated that. Actually, that's kind of exactly, that's what I was trying to, to get mm-hmm. at, but mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't phrase that. Um, when people, I, I have two more questions. When people, when you introduce yourself and you say yeah. what, what you are, how do you, how do, you do that? Uh, not easily. <laughs> and I think it's, it's uh, circumstantial. Yeah. I would like for it not to be, but sometimes I say, and then it just doesn't make any sense. And so most often I say I'm a graphic designer okay. because that's already a big enough tent that people may assume you do not what you do. And that's, that can be a little not ideal. Um, I mean, that doesn't, Yeah. You, you're not in some ways not being generous because you're not actually saying what you do, but uh, in other situations I'll say I'm an artist, you know, that, okay. that just depends on, on uh, if that would make you know, I mean, right. I, I think there's some degree of accommodation, um, not in terms of like, um, it's not about being opportunistic or anything like that, but just trying to like actually give somebody an idea of what yeah. you actually do. So if it's somebody who knows about graphic design, then you can say, I do graphic design, I publish this thing and do whatever. And that gives a better idea. Right. But if it's somebody who maybe doesn't know about any of this, maybe it's easier to say I'm an artist and I, I work with graphic design, I work with this and work okay. with that. Interesting. I don't yeah. mind. Like, I don't mind. I wish there's a simpler answer. Yeah. Uh, but I tend to most often and kind of internally identify as a graphic designer. Okay. But, uh, 
but sometimes that's just misread to such an extent that it's not productive they're like oh you know do you do like whole foods graphics or whatever yeah no not really yeah i but then you try to explain and then it's like makes nonsense whereas if the things I do fall much more easily under somebody's conception of an artist. So, yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, I mean, you have it. You, your your practice is much more. Ex- I like to think that I have an expanded yeah. practice. Yours is yeah. much more than mine is. But I, I introduced myself to someone just the other day as a yeah. graphic designer, and I was wearing a baseball cap that had like a little emblem on it, and they were like, "Oh, did you design that?" And I was just like, ah, "No." Yeah, and that, you know. Kind of, at least I knew that much. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like, yeah, you're like part of the way there, but I don't want to get into what I actually do, and so it's, it's interesting. You know, somebody as, you know, writer could be an answer for a lot of people. Yeah. So well, I imagine I'm they must have the same that problem, up. right? Like, yeah. uh, like somebody who writes technical manuals could say I'm a, a writer. They might say I'm a technical writer. Somebody who writes novels could say I'm a writer. Right. Somebody who writes, you know, online reviews, same thing. So I don't, I don't think the problem is isolated to graphic design. Yeah. So in that way, I tend to say I'm a graphic designer, and I think that's... And right. then when they start yeah. asking me what they do, then they're like, wow, that's not what I expected. Right, yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, what's... Uh, do you... I just want to kind of wrap it up with a little sure. bit of your, your writing. Yes. Um, do you write every day? How can... No. Of, no? <laughs> writing okay. is painful for me. Okay. I, don't, I don't enjoy the process, strangely. I really enjoy the way it makes my mind bend, but I'm completely not a natural writer like it's not something that uh, I enjoy I don't like writing emails I like writing code (laughs) I like thinking I mean I'm much more kind of logical thinker in that way but in that way I think like forcing ideas through the kind of sieve of English text like does a lot of good things it helps me organize thoughts same way that putting together slideshow I find that much easier to do and much more productive because it's visual right right spatial and other things but so I don't certainly don't write every day um, I write when I have to <laughs> yeah 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 uh, I can do it you know and I and I like the end results usually um, I don't like it when it gets kind of evened out so I very sometimes I get asked to write for other publications and I very rarely accept because it just doesn't make any sense for me because yes I may have phrased that in an awkward manner but that's also quite important to me the way that's phrased you know like like um, that awkwardness is part of it and it's part of how I speak and it's part of, you know, it's, it's, I don't really want to communicate a set of ideas as I want to like address them, you know? Oh, interesting. How has that, Just me, yeah. has, has that kind of process and, and distaste influenced the way you work on all these other things, whether it's like curating or publishing or, or designing, does that, 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 that process of writing and working through yeah. that and kind of struggling through that and yeah. figuring out a way to articulate your ideas seeped yeah, into those I other think, practices? Yeah, so I think it's just harder in writing. It's not like it's that... I mean, I, I do it and I, you know, I'm just in the middle of like writing captions for something right now. Okay. I'm not enjoying it, <laughs> um, but doing it. Yeah. And uh, um, uh, I think writing is a particular case for me because um, I feel like the... Well, the point of it is to is to communicate and stretch it. You know, I mean, same thing maybe with curating could be, but uh, it seems like there's greater greater chance of failure in writing, or it's clearer when you haven't gotten it right. right, right. And so, um, so that gives that introduced a level of like rigor to it that I yeah. like. Like, I make sure, like, it actually gets there. And then I also find by writing, I get ideas. 
Right. So, yeah. Just by sitting down and doing it, actually, sometimes it helps me collect all these strands. And yeah, that's interesting. That's, I think that's a perfect, a, a good way to, to end it. Thank perfect. you so sure, much for talking certainly. to me. This was yeah, yeah. really interesting. Good. All right. Excellent. This episode was recorded on July 22nd, 2016 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>